0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tracy with the Everybody Counts podcast. I'm here to introduce our interview with Treva Etienne, who played J. Edgar's nemesis Jacques Avril over Bosch Seasons 5 and 6. Our honorary co-host Anne and I really enjoyed interviewing Treva. And no doubt you, too, will appreciate his commentary and the valuable insights he shares on his character. Now, of course, everyone is familiar with the villainous side of Avril, and the fact that somehow he does it all with a smile, which makes his moves all the more unnerving. We explore that, and Trevor also talks about the many layers of Jacques Avril, and he shares insights on a possible backstory he envisioned for the character. Treva has so many nice things to say about his castmates and the whole Bosch team. He also has many wonderful things to say about all of you, the audience whom he recognizes with great fondness and appreciation. So sit back and enjoy all that Treva has to tell us. Hi, Treva. Thank you so much for taking the time. We're the Everybody Counts podcast. And I don't know if you remember, I don't expect you to, but uh, my family and I met you in September on the set. You were doing a scene with Baba Jean and Ryan, And my daughter was in a wheelchair. My husband was there. Yeah, we took a nice picture. Yeah. Oh,
1: yes. Yes, yeah. yes. Yes, I do. Yeah, I do remember
0: that. That was a lovely day. Yeah. Yes, it was, and that was such a highlight of our trip to be able to spend a little time with you. So thank you
1: for oh, that. thank you. No, now now I can put a face. Now. Oh, there
0: you go. There you go. Okay. That was us. Right. And so this is my friend Anne. She is a super fan of Bosch, and she's helping out co-hosting today. Um, hi, Trevor. Oh, so hi, she, Anne she's going to help us out so um yeah again thank you for your time what an amazing season and you were certainly an integral part of that so we thought we'd pick your brain a little bit
1: (laughs) yeah no absolutely no no go for it well
0: what was what would you say was the most challenging thing about playing the role of Jacques Avril on Bosch um well
1: I you know when you're playing a character like that I think you're just trying to bring some kind of authentic truth to it because mm-hmm. it's so easy, it's so easy just to color him with one color because he's kind of seen as a very dark character. So mm-hmm. you're, always, you're always trying to add different colors and different ideas that you can play with. And the wonderful folk on Bosch were so open. All the directors and the writers were very open to just suggestions and they really allow you to play. It's a very, it's like a very open playground. For, yeah. For, for for any actor, I think coming into that show, I've watched all the previous seasons, and they really mm-hmm. give you a lot of play time, you know, to discover yeah. and and play with things. So I I think that was probably the most interesting thing about playing Abriel. Okay. You got a lot of support from the production and the directors and the writers to just sure. take him just take him in a direction, and they would either tell you to go more to the left or to the right but it was it was a really collaborative creation i think
0: Oh I that's good to hear and yeah. that makes a that makes a lot of sense what you said about how you portrayed him and not just like a one trick pony and just evil because we did see a lot of different sides he could be so polite and he thought maybe there is some humanity in him i'm not sure you know kind of kept us guessing a little bit so that that's really fantastic
2: Yeah that was yeah. that was one of the i'm sorry that was one of the things that i found so interesting about his about the character was that as Tracy said he he wasn't just a bad guy he was a whole person and there Mm -hmm. were more aspects to him that that sort of kept popping up and would sort of make you think oh well okay maybe maybe he isn't such a terrible guy but of course you know
0: in the end we (laughs) (laughs) uh
2: that changed quickly
0: yeah yeah but yeah,
1: it's very cool. Well, that's, that's, that's nice that you both found that because that's, I think, what you're always trying to achieve. You're hoping that, you know, the colors that you're adding to a character will somehow filter through mm-hmm. in, on the screen. So uh, that's good that, you know, you yeah. guys were able to connect with more more than just one level of his sure. dark. Sure, yeah, absolutely.
0: Job well done. Well,
1: well, thank you.
2: I found it very interesting because I did not know that you were British. Obviously, I hear it in your voice now. And I was curious, do you have any other accents or languages that you have some proficiency in or um, do you enjoy that sort of thing, like picking up different different accents?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, in, in, in the UK, you know, we're kind of groomed with lots of different accents and you grow up <laughs> In an environment where you're watching a lot of American films, a lot of Hollywood films, but okay. you're also influenced by a lot of the European films as well. Mm-hmm. So you have a very kind of large palette to play from, you know? And playing Avril was actually quite close to my own family background because my family are Dominican. So okay. we speak so we speak the kind of creole. And Jamie's family is Haitian, so mm-hmm. me and me and Jamie were able to kind of connect with the Creole, and that was sure. actually the first time I've ever done anything like that. I've never played anything as close to my family background. Okay. Um, in in terms of a character, you know, because usually I play uh, I play Americans, I play um, Africans, mm-hmm. I, I play Brits, and back home in the UK, you know, you do a lot of Shakespeare and do a lot of theatre, so you play with different accents there as sure. well. So it's it's just nice to be able to you know connect with something that was closer to home so it was That's it was wonderful. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Really, that's very interesting. It, it sure
0: is. It sure is. I had no idea. That's that's good information. Well, talk speaking of Jamie who you know played Jerry, do you think that Avril saw Jerry as a formidable opponent? Maybe more than some other adversaries he's had before?
1: Uh yes, I do. I think he was uh, I think he may have underestimated I think he may have underestimated Edgar in the beginning,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but I think he started to find a kind of uh, gradual respect for his tenacity, really. Mm -hmm. You know, he he never gave up. He was constantly on Avril's shoulder. And even when Avril was getting nervous, I don't think he could let Edgar see that he was getting nervous. But I think the truth is that Edgar kept pulling the tail. He kept pulling the Mm -hmm. tail and waiting for Avril to roar and Avril kept suppressing that mm. until mm-hmm. the you know finale when you know he, he gets what's coming really
0: okay yeah
2: Okay. Certainly, Interesting certainly, thing. Yeah. What do you? I I'd be very curious to know what you would see as Avril's primary motivation. Do you think it was a power thing, or was it money? Was it? You know, did he just? Did he? Did he enjoy the sort of, almost like the multi-dimensional chess of what he was doing? What 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 are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I I think Avril was an opportunist. Mm-hmm. And I, I think coming from the environment he came from in Haiti, and he he actually mentions in the car very briefly about the earthquake. Um, mm-hmm. And I had said to the writers and and to Tom, the the script editor, that mm-hmm. um, I had kind of had an idea that maybe Avril had lost someone in the earthquake, okay. and that uh, there may have been some grief, some sure. loss attached to him, okay. and. Because of that, he kind of had a very focused driving force now that nothing was going to get in his way because he, and even the front that he had with the charity, right. mm-hmm. and that he was using the charity as a front to launder the illegal operations. Mm-hmm. I think in his, in his mind, that was a kind of giving back okay because c- some of the funds were funneled back into the uh, country into uh, um, in in into Haiti so i do believe that he wasn't just he, he was keeping all his options open which is why he was playing with the CIA connection as well and mm-hmm. he had he had all that stuff cuz he's he's an opportunist whatever mm-hmm. he saw and i think from where he came from because the opportunities Weren't born, you know. You had to create them. I think he yes. saw he saw a way out through okay. the opportunity of coming to the U.S. and working for the U.S. as a kind of kind of cooperative, a covert operative, if you like.
0: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
1: So I think that was his kind of driving force. That if there was an opportunity, he was going to take it. I mean, even when okay. he even when he gives up his guys, he gives up see, his his guys. His, because he sees an opportunity.
0: hmm okay.
2: Well, I think it's did. interesting that he, in his opportunism, he also seemed to have found layers of sort of legitimacy that, you know, may be looking for as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I think part of his journey was that he, he obviously came from a background where his father, who had a reputation, right being a you know for being a butcher he lived he lived with that reputation and i think again maybe initially in his early life him also being a policeman Mm -hmm. um allowed him to think like a policeman which is why i think the game of chess between me and edgar is kind of interesting because Mm -hmm. he's always kind of playing with edgar's instincts because he's he's also thinking like a policeman as well he's thinking like a detective because that's that's where he came from um, in on the island. So mm-hmm. you've you, you've got a criminal with a a police mind, um, yeah, with a detective's instincts, and mm-hmm. I think that's why he he finds a way to toy with Edgar, sure, almost like you know the kitten that you give the you know the ball of wool to, you mm-hmm. know, the, you know mm-hmm. the kittens, and mm-hmm. I think he's he's toying with Edgar in that way. And he yeah, wants to. Fr- I think he wants to frustrate him. I think he wants to. Sure. Yeah, he wants Edgar to slip up, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and and it not look like it was something that was already premeditated by Avril.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I think he could kind of he could play both sides of it. Yeah, I find it really interesting how you brought up about the. The possibility of the backstory with his grief because you know, we're so focused on who Jay Edgar lost and who Dwight lost and and so forth that you know, we didn't stop to think about that that grief, you know, could also be part of Jacques Avril's life and his story. And I mean, we may not, may not agree with the choices he made with you know, trying to deal with that grief, but that's a really interesting point. I hadn't even thought about so
1: yeah, either, yeah, 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 that was just something that I, I was playing with. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I had a ring, um, I had a ring that i played with that i wore that Uh i had had said to the the writers that i was just one day on set we were just playing with the idea that perhaps this ring represented a lost sister or a lost family member okay
0: wow and
1: and it was just and it it was never in the script but it was just something Mm -hmm. that i i kind of tagged tagged into the character just as a kind of another layer if you like
0: sure yeah it's really fascinating. Well, Avril was so capable in so many ways. We've talked a lot about that. What would you say was his biggest weakness?
1: Mm. Um probably his his arrogance. Okay. You know, like mm-hmm. most like most psychopaths, they suffer from that narcissistic arrogance, you know. They yeah. they believe that they're never gonna get caught, they believe that they're always above the law, they believe that there's always some kind of, there's always a premeditated excuse or alibi in the back pocket, you know? Mm-hmm. And that
2: they're smarter than everyone.
1: Exactly. You know? <laughs> and, 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 you know, narcissists are liars. They're not people who have much morality. They they don't have any compassion or empathy. Mm-hmm. So I've real ticked all those boxes, you know, um, yeah. but they do live with shame. Okay. They okay. do live with sh- You know, they do live with shame. And I think Avril's weakness was his arrogance, but I think his arrogance came from shame that he had to defend himself against his father who was seen as a butcher. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. And, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think if you're living with a family member who's done something that's been seen as violently disgusting or not acceptable, uh, the karmic splash that you have to live with as a family member of that is mm-hmm. either a kind of it, there's either a victimhood or there's a shame
0: okay and, mm-hmm. and
1: Yep. and and people do very strange things with shame sure you know um they act strangely they defend it they wear a mask they they can navigate a new character they wear a different face mm-hmm. because dealing with shame is dealing with the self and i think it's easy to play the businessman the kind of slick negotiator and all those things sure uh to deflect the shame
0: okay yeah that makes a lot of sense
2: wow. well and i think narcissists tend to be very good at lying to themselves sure yeah and you know that this is sort of a way to distance themselves from that shame to sort of mm-hmm. run run from it yes yeah.
1: abs- yes absolutely absolutely i mean they are they are the biggest liars to themselves first before mm-hmm. they go out and have their lives destroy destroy other people's lives. And it's it's interesting, they never really um, look at what they're doing to themselves, the kind of toxic decay that they are mutating in their own spirits and souls. They don't think that karmically that's gonna come back on them because they're they're too focused on always living the high, the exciting high of getting away with things. You know, that's why they're
0: lying.
1: Because, you know, the thrill is getting away with it
0: Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm you know know,
1: that's where the you know that's where the power is for them that's where the source of of the attention they love the attention yeah they love and they they love that they're getting one over on you
0: sure yeah that makes sense Mm mm-hmm that's what we saw yeah
2: so many so many layers but (laughs) i have to say i i am now retired from from work so i don't have to take quote Mm -hmm. personal days But I would have to say that I I don't know that I would ever think about them quite the same way after what Remy did to to Dwight um, on a personal day. (laughs) Do you think that Avril was surprised at sort of how tenacious Dwight was and the lengths that he was willing to go to to get to the bottom of his son's murder?
1: Uh, Yes and no, because I think think Avril understood that this was his son, and he wanted justice. And also, he, he also was a detective. Mm-hmm. So Avril was aware that he had killed or been party to, giving the order mm-hmm. of, of killing a policeman's son. And, and that always has come back. That would always have come back. And I think he may have been a little surprised that Dwight came to his office. Uh-huh. OK. And <laughs> and I and I think threatened yeah. him. Um, I don't. I don't think he was ready for the threat that Dwight was imposing on him in that moment. And I think okay. it was that that really threatened him because you know when a bully gets threatened, they have to respond immediately because mm-hmm. their reputation is at stake. And if they don't respond, again, we come back to that word shame. If right. they can if they can't deal with the attack in that moment. And remember, it, it was a public attack. You know, Dwight did it in yeah. front of his his employees. And right.
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and you know, Avril's very paranoid. Everything is on camera. He has cameras everywhere. So he's very paranoid, very looking over the shoulder kind of mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: individual. So for someone to walk into his establishment and to threaten him, um, that provoked his shame. That triggered his shame. And in order to deal with that shame, I believe that he had to act fast, he had to na- navigate a negotiable alibi and dispose of Dwight because Dwight was was not only becoming a threat Dwight was becoming emotional sure mm-hmm. when people when people become emotional, uh, they tend to lose logic yeah and I think i'm really smart enough to know as a former detective as well you see it 's quite interesting because he's dealing with detectives and he Mm -hmm. was a policeman. So he he knows all about crime fighting and he knows what people will do to get the bad guy. So that's why he was an interesting character to play because he was always thinking like a policeman, although he was a criminal.
2: Yeah, right. But I think that the the sort of chink in, in Avril's armor was that Dwight really threatened to breed the sort of fiction that Avril had built for himself Mm-hmm. Um, to protect from the shame. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I yes. think
2: when you when you do that to somebody who already has a documented affinity for just killing people who get in his way, that's, that's pretty dangerous stuff.
1: Sure. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, usually with characters like Abriel, you see them get angry mm-hmm. at some point. And one of the things that I thought was quite interesting that the writers never allowed him to do was to be over emotional. He he skimmed the surface of being emotional, uh, but somehow he was always contained. He could always, somehow, you just saw a little flash of the kind of emotional release, but you never saw rage, you never. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of interesting because most bad guys at some point in their story on screen, they find a moment to release rage
0: kind of where they snap or something.
1: Yeah, and they smash, you know, they smash a chair, they throw a Mm -hmm. bottle against the wall, they, Mm -hmm. they, you know, they hit someone, they, you know, they jump in the car, they drive 100 miles down the freeway, they do something, Mm -hmm. you know, they hit the bottle and they drink, you know, they do something. But Avril always seemed to be contained. You know, he always seemed to, And I always wonder, well, where do you put that? You know, if you're suppressing pain and you're and you're suppressing emotions, that has to live somewhere in the body. It has to, you know, that goes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it creates a tumor, and it can create an illness. Um, other mm-hmm. times you find some sport or some outlet, some exercise, some addiction. But there didn't seem to be any kind of outside addictive type energy around him. So
0: um,
1: no. he, he 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 obviously found a way to deal with that. But however you deal with that, I always think there's always a price. And so sure. even if the even if the audience didn't see the price, I think the end result, the end game of that. Mm-hmm. I, idea of himself and those choices he made ideally cost him his life at the end of the story.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well,
2: I, I I don't know how Tracy feels about this, but I sort of would find myself being more on the edge of my seat the bigger of real's grin got. <laughs> yes. It yes. seems like there was so much sort of that that made that there was a lot of rage contained in that yeah smile my family uh, commented yeah, I on found that it, i found yeah. it frightening
1: actually yes yes wow uh well thank you thank you that's 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 good to know yeah well i guess that's where um i mean i, I think that's where he released it in the smile and i think yes that's, you know yeah. that's why this you know the smile was always unnerving you never knew mm-hmm. um you know on, on a scale of one to ten you didn't know if it was a six or a four or a right. 10 or an eight, you know, you didn't know how intense the smile was and what was yeah. behind it, you know, but what you was never trusted it. I never
2: no. trusted that smile. Oh, yeah.
1: it was, it was absolutely
0: unnerving. Uh, and, and in the final episode when he, there, he gives us some, some sort of smile to Jay Edgar when, you know, his hands are above his head and he has him, you know, captured so to speak and my son and I just both looked at each other like oh my gosh that smile is so we said creepy but I mean it was scary you know and oh it was it was very effective Trevor I just have to say it was very effective Uh,
1: (laughs) thank you thank you very much so thank you thank you very much yeah no it it was uh you you know the whole process of working on Bosch from season five to six was Mm -hmm. it really was it, it really was a pleasurable experience everybody on the show was wonderful and very supportive and just very open to ideas and the wardrobe and the makeup and the crew and the actors and the writers and all the directors and the producers, everybody really, there was just, it was a real nice family to be part of. It really was. And even though you're playing, even if you, even though you're playing an unsavory character in Mm -hmm. a situation like that, they welcome the unsavouriness, you know. Yeah, yeah,
0: they do. <laughs> that's right. You're a pivotal part of this of the story.
1: it wouldn't, yeah, so. it
2: wouldn't have been much fun without it.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so it's it's you know they they helped encourage me to um, create more layers to what I was doing, and that's that that made it interesting. That, that the smile and the looks mm-hmm. and that yeah. kind of uh, kind of telepathic thing that I had with yeah. Tucson you know, with Tucson. Uh-huh. We did yeah. you know we, we we wouldn't have to speak, but he he <laughs> he could he could read my body language, you know. And
0: yeah.
1: Uh, that was all in the writing. That was all in the writing. So um and it was great to work with Jamie. He was a real joy, very generous actor, very open and Celestine and, you know, there was some really great um you, you know, Baba Jean uh, lovely actor, and just you know, all the guys were just really pleasurable guys. Brian and, and also Terence,
0: absolutely, yeah,
1: just lovely, you know, just just good good individuals to work with. Yeah. You know? Not, Um, nice guys all of them really really good guys
0: i have to tell you uh, something funny you know when i met bamajan there as well you know we kind of hit it off and we're talking about things and when i went home i'm on the east coast i realized yes when i when i yeah when i got home i just looking on facebook or whatever and i realized that bamajan and i went to the same high school in virginia Mm. um and I was like, "What are the odds that I go all the way across the country and meet him, you know, really nice fella, and then get back in real time. Now, I graduated much earlier, obviously, I'm much older. Um, but I was like, wow, that's what a small world. <laughs> that was really,
1: really crazy. Well, and, and where was that? Where, where, what high school? Um,
0: we went to high school in Virginia, uh, in Richmond, wow. Virginia, Meadowbrook High School. Yeah, so, wow. you know, neither one of us are still there, but we both wow. had the same drama teacher and a lot of, you know, shared experiences. So it's really, really kind of fun. So, yeah you know
1: I, right. I i I always say that you know there's not you know they talk about the six degrees of separation, but yeah you know, I mean I don't think there's much difference between the audience and the actors or the crew or the makeup or the wardrobe or the writers or you know I always see it as a family like the yeah. audience are our family as much as the production and the creators and the people who work on the set are a family and. Without, oh, that's
0: a very nice sentiment. I like that.
1: But but it's true, you know. Without yeah. you, you, the audience, as as, as our family, um, we can't create the things that we do as a family. So you have two different families who have a common goal. We want to entertain you, and you want us to entertain you. And yeah, for that, yeah. <laughs> you show you show your appreciation by watching, and we get something back by knowing that we've all done a great job and you've enjoyed this season and the other seasons and the forthcoming seasons. And it's one of those rare shows where they just seem to get all the ingredients, right? The casting Mm -hmm. and the writing. I've watched all the seasons and I just think it's just one of those very rare shows where, um, it just works. It yeah. just really does work. It's a great show, it really. Well, it's
0: absolutely a win-win in that regard for, for both sides, for sure. Well, this has been so insightful. So many things you, you brought up and, and made us think even deeper, more deeply about Avril. So I really appreciate that. We were going to finish with just a lighter question, if you don't, if you have time. Avril was reading Proust in his office. So we were just curious, what do you, Trevor, what do you like to read?
1: Wow, uh, Well, wow. I read a lot. Uh, I read a lot of... Um, Autobiographies. Okay. Um, uh-huh. And I read a lot about writers. So I read uh, a lot of James Baldwin. Um, I, li- I read uh, uh, a lot of Toni Morrison. Um, uh-huh. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I've read Hemingway, um, John Steinbeck, you know, really just all kinds. Um, Jack Kerouac. Um, uh-huh. I, 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 but also I read a lot of the, the biographies as well. So I yeah. just finished reading about Bill Hicks uh-huh. and I read, I read a autobiography on Sidney Poitier. Uh, I've read that one nice. a few times. Um, uh-huh. James, James Cagney is my hero. I uh, love James Cagney. Oh um, wow. Edward G. Robinson. So I, I have, and then I read a lot about filmmakers like Cassavetes and uh, Truffaut and, you know, people like that. So I'm, I'm really like an open book because I, I read plays as yeah. well and Shakespeare, but I really try to kind of get a, wide range of because life is so interesting to me you know and everybody Mm -hmm. lives on let everyone lives on layers and it's always interesting to see how Chaplin created what he created and all the layers that he lived on sure and how his genius was uh, devised and conceived and so i'm always interested in the human psyche and what it is that creates the world that we live in even right now with this situation that we're in now it's yeah if if, if you study the characters if you if you study the characters and you study what they say Mm -hmm. it's not it's not so much leaning towards what the media is telling you it's really leaning towards what your instinct tells you and if you're in if your if your instinct is agreeing with something that feels logically right just in your 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 childhood instinctive way to know that before you cross the street, you look left and you look right. That's just an instinct mm-hmm, that, you, mm-hmm. you know, that we grew up with. And now if we take kids with us, we teach them the same thing about looking left and looking right. And I think we have to keep developing that muscle that everything yeah. that's being shared or things that are being delivered to us, we still have the ability to use the instinct of our instinct and know that mm-hmm. we, should, we should look left, we should look right before we cross the street. Mm-hmm. And if, even with all the information and the news that's floating around, I think it's important that all of us—we uh, have opinions—but those opinions you should look left and look right before we cross the street and decide on what we're going to believe. Because yeah. it's so easy mm-hmm. to be—it's so easy to be swayed into um, a wave, a wave of belief, and then swayed back into another sure. wave of belief, and then before mm-hmm. you know it, you're in an ocean of confusion. Yeah. And and we are we're we're all suffering from um, different stages and elements of confusion right now because yeah you know there's been you know we we haven't even looked at the grief of what people are experiencing exactly. there, you know there's a lot of grief um, with all of this virus stuff going on people mm-hmm. are losing um, from whatever they're dying from there is a lot of grief. Right, right. It's like we're only focused on one thing and we're not focused on the other layers of how that penetrates our society and how we deal with that and how we support people who are in pain and dealing with that grief. It's a very interesting, Mm -hmm. you know, when you read these books and these biographies and these stories and you look at what was going on in their time and how these people were able to use that and then Mm -hmm. process it into creativity, that I think is the genius of a lot of them yeah. and how and how they did it so sure yeah and i encourage people to read more yeah. i think that's I good think, <laughs> yeah you know we become so connected to the tv and right. the screen that we forget that words also tell stories mm-hmm.
0: too mm-hmm. absolutely well you are such a lovely and fascinating person i am not surprised at all that your library is so diverse so uh, thank you <laughs> thank
1: you very much thank
0: you well we don't want to keep you too long we really appreciate taking the time to share with us this has been really really fun and uh Absolutely. i know i learned a lot so it's very good so
1: well no thank you for having me and um my best wishes to you and all your family thank you and and, and it was a pleasure to meet you as well it thank was you.
2: wonderful i i so enjoyed this all right
0: well trevor you stay safe and take care and we'll look forward to seeing what's next from you so,
1: thank you very really much really appreciate yes. it yes. Thank bye-bye you be, safe. Safe. Or, be safe be safe out there too